Welcome to Something in Media, a show that tells the story of successful people in the general world of media and what it takes to make it to the very top. I'm Dave Maguire. We plan to show you that there are many ways to become successful in the world of media, whatever your background and wherever you're from. In this episode, we welcome writer and podcast sensation Jamie Morton onto the show as we talk about how he turned his love for performance into his superpower and how creating the world's most successful podcast is only the start for him. I think episode three was when Elijah Wood tweeted about it and we were like, oh, people are listening to this elsewhere. We just, I don't know, it just kind of it sounds so naive. But also podcasting, as you say, it just wasn't what it is now. As you'll hear, Jamie didn't listen much to the naysayers at school and he found his passion for storytelling early on. Encouraged by his parents, Jamie cut his teeth creating student television at Leeds University before hitting some bumps in the road facing the realities of life lived in London working for an internet TV series that was way before its time and being sent on jobs that were barely paying him enough to survive. However, despite these years of hardship, Jamie has persisted and created a hit podcast with many millions of listeners around the world. According to Jamie, it's all about timing. With that in mind, I started off by asking Jamie how he would describe his current job title. Um, because I suppose now that my dad wrote a porno's ended, I'm not a podcaster anymore, but even that felt woolly. Not really a job yet. Hopefully one day it'll be a proper, respected job in the industry. So, I mean, I guess I'm still a writer, producer, director, podcaster. I mean, I'm not anything, am I? You're a, you're a triple threat, quadruple I am, threat. What's that thing? A jack of all trades, master of none. That's definitely me. <laughs> uh, you're putting yourself down because, you know, you had one of the biggest hits in podcasting ever, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a surprise hit. I don't think anyone saw it coming, uh, least of all me. Was it really? Come on. In yeah, terms of, right, even of when you're doing it. Well, it's interesting. People ask me that a lot. And I think what it was, was that I always thought it was good and funny, if I'm allowed to say that. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be successful. Those two things are not, you know, they're very rarely connected, actually, as we all know. Because <laughs> um, I've got friends who've been making incredible stuff for years that hasn't taken off the way that my dad wrote a porno did. So I feel very lucky that we had that initial success that we were able to kind of build upon. I mean, it's a very niche thing when you think Mm. about it. It's my dad's (laughs) dodgy erotica that I'm reading to my two best mates. There was a chance of it being incredibly insular and actually quite alienating to a wider audience. So I think when we were prepping the show and developing it up, because we spent about a year developing it before we started recording, we talked a lot about that, like, you know, let's make sure that we break down as many barriers of entry as possible and Mm. we were very careful about not just little things like talking about other friends that we have if people don't know them anything that made us seem like we were just like a bit of a clique chatting we tried to kind of yeah wash all that away as much as possible I think people listening will find that really interesting that those were conscious decisions and a year planning I mean my Mm. god it didn't just happen it was I mean it wasn't like every day (laughs) (laughs) we weren't like how the hell are we gonna make this but yeah because I think as well you can have an idea, but I think it is important to let that idea percolate and let it kind of develop. And especially with something like podcasting, which was so new and also so, with this idea, so potentially not dodgy, but I think it had to be handled in the right way, given the pornography of it all. And I think just as we kind of properly began developing it, we we really found the show. Because I think what you don't want to do is create a podcast and just put your first episode out and then let the show find its feet over the first 10, 20 episodes because your first stuff is the most important stuff, mm. particularly in podcasting. So if you don't kind of start, you know, hitting the ground running, I think you can kind of 
maybe never get to that point where, you, where your show's taking flight. So we were quite aware of that and wanted to make sure that it was kind of the complete show from the word go. It absolutely does. And uh, people have a limited amount of time to spend their leisure mm. time podcasting yeah, being, you know competing not just with other podcasts but with netflix their yeah. tv etc everything and yeah there's so much stuff to consume you, sh- you lose them yeah so that's a really interesting point but let's let's start with if i may uh, with your childhood so uh, you're from manchester is that right manchester yeah my yeah, research yeah. is correct yeah can you not tell by my really uneven accent sometimes there's a long a sometimes i haven't been able to cover it yeah script in manchester for the first 18 years of my life, then I went to university in Leeds and then ditched the North and moved down to London to become a twat. Uh, no, uh, yeah, I, I, I had a great childhood growing up in Manchester. It was fun. Yeah, tell me about uh, your household. Are you one of several brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got three sisters, mm-hmm. which was fun. <laughs> Girls can be very cruel when they're in a pack, uh, <laughs> which I learned to my detriment. I was, I, was, I was a second eldest, which kind of gave me a bit of clout within the household but but not much really and yeah my parents were very I guess because there were six of us we were kind of a bit of a rabble but they were also quite un uh, unorthodox parents like they were they were very they were, they, they were mavericks mm-hmm. uh, still are st- well quite I mean yeah this was all seeded very early <laughs> and uh they were viewed <laughs> with a certain amount of skepticism I think in the town that we lived that they were just a little bit they did things their own way but I think in a in a brilliant way. Mm-hmm. And so your your dad's Irish, is that right? Is your yeah. mum also Irish too? So my mum isn't, but my, well, her whole family is Irish. Mm-hmm. But she was born in Middlesbrough. When you go up, do you uh, do you find yourself like changing it to a northern twang, or is Not it kind really. of mellowed out? I mean, I don't go up that much because my, my my parents don't live up there anymore. Mm-hmm. All all of my sisters and myself moved uh, to London, and then. I mean, I've stayed, but they all uh, have have stayed down south. So my parents decided to move as well because there wasn't really much for them up there anymore. I mean, once your kids leave, it's kind of like yeah. you want to be close to them. I think uh, absolutely, yeah. I can one hundred percent empathise with that being in your situation. But with with your kind of sisters and and your um, let's say unorthodox um, parents. Hmm. You're, you've obviously got a love of creativity, and sorry, I know you laughed about that. I didn't mean to. Offend. No, it's funny because I'm just like, what's what's the what's the right word to describe them? I mean, that's as good as any, I think. Batch, yeah. I mean, yeah, the the mystery that surrounds your dad, especially like you know, I mean, he's yeah. this figure who is he's obviously a character, and he sounds, yeah, yeah, he sounds yeah. brilliant. But you know, you're a creative person now, and you obviously thrive off being creative and coming up with ideas, which we'll get to. Do you think on a on a some kind of level that you picked up that? personality trait from them being in that environment was was your dad in media or doing something creative no I mean I think this is what's really interesting my parents were very just open for us to be our authentic selves which I'm really grateful for actually because my mum was a teacher my dad was a builder they weren't from and he owned a garage as well like a mechanics so they weren't creative in of themselves certainly in their day jobs but they were very much they, I think, they, I think they saw that me and my elder sister, particularly, we were very kind of creative and we were very into the arts and theatre and stuff. So they really, yeah, they just they really encouraged that in us. I think, which you know was again kind of unusual, particularly for me as the boy. Like I think a lot of people were like, he should just be playing football and stuff, and they were like, well, no, he's into this sort of stuff. Let him do it. Which I'm so grateful because, in a way, them allowing me to be myself and creative at that young age has kind of come full circle for them and now my dad's benefited from 
me being able to help turn his book into yeah, what it's become. So abso- it's nice. Ab- absolutely. It's a nice story to tell. It's nice to think that, you know, if you just let your kids be themselves, mm. it'll come back to you in some way you know even if it's just that your yeah. kids are happy a happy adult you know yeah so we're talking late 80s 90s uh, yeah like 90s what yeah. kind of thing were you doing in terms of being creative as a kid <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh am i right because i heard somewhere that you were involved in plays and things yeah at, 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 even at, at school is that right not at school there was no creativity at the schools <laughs> that i went to but there was a there was a kind of old theater alice and james have ripped I mean, they have had so much fun with this. There was an old theatre called the Club Theatre. I think it's now called the Little Theatre in uh, in South Manchester. And I used to go there every Saturday and, like, just hang out at this theatre with, like, these old, amazing old actors and with, like, some friends and, and, and my sister and stuff. And we'd, like, put on plays. Like, I wrote a lot of plays. I directed loads of plays. And I acted in some stuff as well. And it was just the most amazingly creative thing to do on a weekend and for me it was so normal but then as I've kind of shared this to people people are like you hung out with 80 year olds when you were like <laughs> I, I suppose it's 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 that thing of like that sounds great but I it, again it's that unorthodox is what I keep on coming yeah. back to and uh but you were allowed to do that. how old were you roughly I think I started when I was like seven and I and I went through until a worryingly late age, maybe like fifteen. <laughs> but you, you, enjoyed I loved it, it and yeah. I was, and I did it with my mates. It wasn't like I was on my own there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and and you know, I think if you are if you are a creative person, there's nothing better than being in a space that peaks your creativity. You know, being in an old theatre with so much history and just being just, I just love theatres. It's one of the, the things that I've loved the most when I've, when we've done our tours. It's just being in these old theatres all over the world and hearing the stories about them and who's played on these stages. I just love all of that. Fantastic. Capturing your imagination mm. gets you excited, I suppose, gets you yeah, motivated exactly. for doing things. I, I read that you didn't really enjoy school that much. I, I, I think you, you said something like you were considered an oddball in your words mm. at school. So was yeah. that like a nice counterpunch to... You know, I think it was why I was just <laughs> an right. oddball, actually. I think I should have conformed way, way, way sooner. But yeah, I think so. I think it was just... I think some people respond to school and that kind of social structure and hierarchy or they don't and and I was always quite like weirdly kind of stubborn about not fitting in like I didn't want to kind of modulate myself into being just another person that could get through school unscathed and so I was pretty badly bullied but it didn't oddly really bother me that much I guess because we I had the benefit of Um, as we both did growing up before there was social media and you know school did end at 3 30 and you could have another life after it until the next day it was hard but i mean i i I almost blame myself as much as the people that, that that bullied me because i probably would have bullied me i was just an easy target you know and i think you can't really hold on to that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was fine. Yeah, but it's nice that you had a, well, not just a creative outlet, an outlet to mm. to express yourself. And yeah. that kind of, I suppose, helped formed who you are today and it got you um, some kind of confidence to then, when you move down to London, kind of think to yourself, oh, I can do this. I think it toughens you up for sure. And I think it, it's also helpful to live your life a little bit outside the norm I think being an observer is such an important part of being a creative person being an artist being someone that has something to say on the world you know and so I think that is actually kind of an important component of my life to kind of not 
always have felt the most involved or or, 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 or to fit in really I think that actually is oddly quite a good thing mm-hmm. and in terms of like um, I suppose being a producer versus being uh, quote unquote the star of something a presenter you know an actor I, I may I may be connecting dots that don't need connecting, but this idea that you know you're also creating the content is just as important, maybe more important than just having the the exposure, the fame element of of being in media, of being in television, being on stage. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I've 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 never really been one for the the being in it, the the, the kind of the, the the talent side of it. I've I, and I actually actively don't like it. Uh, and I'm only in my dad wrote a porno because I had to be because it's, it's my dad. It couldn't really have been done without me being a part of it in that way. But I'm actually really, really looking forward to not being in that sort of role anymore. Because yeah, I take all of my enjoyment from the process of creating stuff. And like even with my dad wrote a porno, my favourite part was editing the episodes. Really, when that's I was on my own and yeah. kind of crafting it and building it and. I love that. That's that's exactly what I'm in it for. Like, in fact, somebody said to me, like, kind of recently, maybe like a couple of years ago, they were like, "You can afford to get an editor for this. Why are you still editing it?" And I said, "That's literally why I do it. I wouldn't trust anyone else a to do that because it's the most important part of the process. But also, that's the part that I enjoy the most. So." that's why I'm here doing it it's to make stuff not just to be in stuff yeah that's that's a really good point and I think a lot of people obviously they have different reasons for getting into you know podcasting might Mm. be one but television and it depends on which industry you go in but there's the element of control varies shall we say podcasting being really one end of the spectrum maybe Uh, television being at the other perhaps film films yeah I mean well anything that that, I mean I guess I think the general rule is the more people that it takes to make something the less control you have right podcasting is so intimate it's I mean look at us right here right now you know you brought some stuff in we set it up we're talking Mm -hmm. and this is it you know so maybe I am a control freak maybe that's what it is but I mean I love collaborating with people as well and you know I'm writing a couple of things at the minute with people which is really fun as well but for me, it just was never about being in stuff. It just was, it, it sounds awful, but it did, that sort of side of it just did happen. Hmm. And once you have a hit with something, you know, you want to honour it, you want to make the most of it, you want to kind of squeeze it dry. And, and I feel like with my dad wrote a porno, it's such a stupid thing to have <laughs> happened that I've, you know, performed at the Sydney Opera House and... Radio City Music Hall and the Royal Albert Hall. It's just stupid. Like a rock star. It's just, well, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And I kind of loved the fact that that was, that's in my past now. It's like, oh yeah, I used to tour the world. That's, that's a weird thing that I used to do. (laughs) And I'm quite excited about this new stage of my career when I, I'm back to doing kind of where I'm more comfortable and, because there's a lot of pressure that comes with being in something and particularly with a show that had the profile that we did and, you know, doing stuff in America and our HBO show being kind of the biggest thing that we did that was, just terrifying for me to be suddenly having had no experience of being on-screen talent at all and I'm hosting my own hour-long comedy special on HBO I mean really scary <laughs> well we'll, co- we'll come to this in, in, in a minute but one of my one of my questions which I might as well ask now is you know you, what you just listed was there ever a pinch me moment I mean or because or, I've talked to people um, who have had fame and success in the past and 
strangely, the answer is usually no, and it's only usually after the fact. Is that is that true for you? I kind of. I mean, I don't know. I think because my dad wrote a porno happened so quickly. I was living my life and then we made this show and the minute it came out it kind of began to make waves really quite quickly. There wasn't much of an an adjustment time really. I remember in fact being on the tube going to work and just reading the metro and I turned the page and my face was in the metro (laughs) and it was like pick of the week this podcast and I was like it, it freaked me the hell out. I actually got off the tube. Did you have that moment? I felt really embarrassed. You got off the tube? Just off, off the, like at, at the station, just to be like, I didn't want people to have seen that I was reading it. I, I don't know. I just, it felt really odd to me. Do you know what I mean? I know, ex- I know exactly what, I it mean, I don't, I can't. It was just an odd thing to I've kind of. I've never been there myself, but um, it must have been very strange. Yeah, just be confronted with that. And because I had no idea it was, I don't know. So that was a bit of a, oh, this is becoming yeah. a thing. But. Yeah. yeah, if it was a comedy sketch, there would be somebody sat opposite you with the same paper, just slowly yeah. looking up and then do, doing a double take and be like, "Oh, look, he's reading about himself. <laughs> what a freak!" But that I would say that's uh, nine times out of ten, they wouldn't be thinking that. They'd be thinking, "Oh, amazing, brilliant! I oh mean, my god, this face!" Let's put me in perspective. I'm not, you know. Tom Holland on the tube, but yeah. Um, actually, one of my questions was about that Metro article because um, I remember reading that and feeling... So I, I've listened from the very beginning because oh, uh, working in podcasts, um, what I liked about it at first was like finally something something that's new and not just a formulaic interview show right. uh, or a kind of comedian talking about themselves. You know, it's, yes. it's something that is genuinely different. Mm-hmm. It doesn't punch down. And it's uh, it has personality in bucket loads, and it's just something that you can talk to your friends about because it's like it's entertaining, but it's also shocking in a nice way. You know mm. what I mean? It's, oh, it, good, it's yeah. just this really fantastic Thank thing. You. And that that working in podcasts and audio myself at the time, it was it was almost unique to see something about podcasting in the mainstream press. Yeah, I agree. It was the first time that it kind of. I mean, I guess like the Ricky Gervais show had that maybe 10 years before in that first wave of podcasting and then podcasting kind of like hibernated for a while didn't it It kind of it was still going on but it but it didn't really have the spotlight on it or whatever and then I think our show was kind of maybe the next one that kind of did yeah break out in that way into the wider culture for me it was it was just fantastic to see especially from people who are based in the UK Again, you know, Ricky yeah. Gervais being maybe an exception, but all that thing with cereal, very yeah, American yeah, yeah. kind of led industry. Mm-hmm. So um, there's no question. It's just congratulations. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> but uh, going back to um, your childhood and school. Mm. So after school, A-levels. Yeah. And was there a plan at that point? Did you have uh, a career in mind or was it just something that you were still figuring out? I always knew that I wanted to tell stories and I've never really been cared about the the, the way I've gone about that you know I was never kind of I want to make movies or I want to make television or I want to write books or write plays whereas a lot of my friends were kind of very set on a specific medium but the wider kind of media industry certainly in London that was always my aim to come down to London for sure Uh, because it was kind of before Manchester has now it's become such an amazing hub for that sort of stuff which it wasn't when I was a kid so Maybe if I'd have been growing up there now, I, I, I wouldn't have needed to come to London. But, but London kind of was still very much that place that mm-hmm. you wanted to go if you wanted to 
you know succeed in this business yeah absolutely so like obviously you went to college to do or did you stay at the same school to do A-levels? same school same A-levels, schools. Yeah. were you still kind of dabbling hanging out on a weekend with the uh... not during my A-levels I think I kind of discovered actual socializing and going out and underage drinking and all of that sort of stuff so yeah 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 that kind of took a pre- took, took precedence at that point in my life yeah so you're saying you, you wanted to tell stories were you trying to do that in your spare time as well no because it wasn't even that specific that I wanted to do that sort of stuff I mean I guess I just was concentrating on getting out of Manchester to be honest and kind <laughs> of getting my A level so that I could get to university because I, I really wanted to go to Leeds that was a a really important place and I think if I hadn't have got into Leeds I probably wouldn't have gone to university and I would have just moved down to London and tried to kind of you know yeah break in in some way what did you do at university what, what was the course <laughs> it was it doesn't exist anymore actually but it was photography and cinema very theory based quite technical it wasn't really so this is kind of embarrassing to admit but it wasn't really the course I wanted to be part of the lead student TV station because it was kind of renowned as like the best student TV station. It was it was a, it was set up by um, amongst other people Ben Winston, who he's a bit older than me. So I'd, I'd I'd heard about this student TV station, and it just seemed like the most amazing thing. You could just for free make whatever you wanted, and you had all of this free time at university. And I had a lot of free time. Well, that, yeah, you do as a student. So how did you find out about the TV show then? Was it just researching? Yes, yeah, so it was yeah. It was when I was looking at universities, I was kind of... My mum was very good about... I was, was going to do politics and history because that's what my A-levels were in and English lit. But my mum was like, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Again, my parents being amazingly insightful about who I was and she was like... I remember her sitting me down and she was like, you don't want to do history and politics. I mean, you like that, great. But you don't want to be studying that. You want to be more creative. You want to do something that's like more you. And so, and because I never even thought that I could do something like that at university. I thought that, I probably thought that my parents wouldn't approve actually of something quote unquote Mickey Mouse degree, you know. <laughs> um, and so I was kind of like, well, I want to go to like a good university, like a, like a red brick. And I wanted to kind of, seeing as I'm going to be there, I want to use that time to be as creative as possible if I'm now going to commit mm. to that. And so I was looking at about, you know, about what societies each university had. And I saw that Leeds Student TV was this amazing resource. And it's where I met all of my friends pretty much from university. I mean, a few from my course that I'm still mates with, but most of my friends are all from LSTV and they're all doing insanely amazing things mm. now. So was it just like a, like a proper studio set up with cameras <laughs> and things? Was it? It was a cupboard <laughs> underneath the stairs of the University Union. It was, it was so small. You could maybe fit four people in there at a time we managed to fit 10 to 15 for a live broadcast that James (laughs) Cooper was the host of every week so each week people could just make shows and it was strung together by presenters what was the show James made or presented so James actually hosted it with a (laughs) with our friend Lucy Cherniak who's now a big director in America she she directed some of uh, Station Eleven like she's an amazing director so Lucy and James were hosts of this live broadcast, basically, from this cupboard in, in the union that they would just throw to different programmes that people had made throughout. The- I mean, it was terrible. Where was it broadcast, by the way? Around the union. Oh, right. Completely so pointless. I mean, what, I mean, and people would just be like, will you switch that off because the sound was terrible? Like, people are like drinking in Old Bar or whatever, and they're like, oh my God, what is that racket? And, oh yeah, it's a Wednesday at two o'clock. It's that weird show that those freaks are making. Um, 
but yeah, it's where I met Alice, James, yeah, all of my friends. Fantastic, yeah, because a lot of people, well, especially, I don't know if it's uh, the same in media, you know, university, the social element and getting your hands dirty, at least initially, for that first kind of taste of what it's like to make something professional. Mm, yeah. You know, obviously a lot of people don't go to university, but some of them would go on to be as equally successful you know, world famous. Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting. Like my housemate in Leeds, a guy called Alex, he was a bit older than me. He'd been to university before, and he was kind of he, we we did the same course actually, as well as at LSTV. And he said to me, he was maybe like ten years older than me, and he said to me one day, he was like, Jamie, you'll never have as much free time in your life as you are in these three years. We should really make the most of that. And yeah, he's now like an executive at Lionsgate and stuff. It's so. a wise thing for a very wise year old to say. I mean, he was like twenty six. Seven. Oh, he was okay. older than me, but still quite wise. Still, I mean, even you know. um, if only he knew what my life would become. It turns <laughs> out I've had a lot of free time being out of work for most of my twenties. Yeah. But, uh, but he was right, and it was like one of these those amazing kind of yeah light bulb moments of this is a great opportunity. You're with so many hungry young creative people. Let's just make stuff and and fail and be rubbish and hopefully over three years get a bit better. And what was really brilliant about LSTV was that you would you, you became friends with people in the years above you, so that when they left and graduated and they got their starts in London, by the time you were graduating, they were kind of at a point in their careers where they could be hiring runners and assistants and people that they needed for shoots. So it was actually a really great way to kind of get into the industry properly as well because you suddenly had contacts that you because I mean my family I mean my parents had we knew nobody so that was kind of a really important part of it as well to kind of get to meet people that could then help you get into the industry when you graduated having having the exposure and so that point are you talking about maybe mid-2000s yeah I went to university started in 2005 2005 yeah and so would you say that period 2005 to let's say 2010 Mm-hmm. Um, was that like kind of the start of your kind of creative periods? Because uh, you know, you talk you, you talked about um, being bullied at school. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume confidence was relatively low. This seems like the the end of the story. Really. That's, that's the was weird that the thing, thing about me. It's <laughs> that Please tell it me. didn't really affect my confidence um, because I didn't really care what they thought. It was an odd kind of environment because I it kind of just made me think. Sure, right. Okay. You'll be doing what you'll be doing, and I'll be doing what I'll be doing, and we'll see who wins in forty years. Well, again, that that you you seem to have an element of perspective, which seems to be quite rare, which is a great quality to have. But then only kind of perpetuated you from university. It sounds like because suddenly you had all these means at your disposal to make things, to, and you didn't have this kind of element of like group of trying to suppress you and what you wanted to do. And yeah, and I think you know being friends with so many people that wanted to do what you wanted to do as well. We just supported each other through that time. And because mm. you know when I moved to London, it was pretty tough. I got a job quite quickly with so was it stra- James. straight away after university or did you- um, I pr- pretty much I I <laughs> my uh, lecturer actually at university was making his own film. And he asked me to be the director of photography on that when I graduated, which was amazing. So we shot that in Paris. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, it was amazing. And he, yeah, we wrapped that kind of maybe around about the autumn time. And that's when I moved to London, like September, October time. uh, Excuse my uh, ignorance. What does that mean, director of photography, when you're... Uh, Camera lighting. I mean, stuff that I'm actually not very good at (laughs) now. But back then, I was... I had a kind of passion for it and my dissertation I kind of concentrated on that so he was like oh that's 
you that, can do that. That must have given you a bit of a boost. I well. mean, free labour. It wasn't like that's he, another way of looking at he it. He was like, oh, yeah. who's like half decent and can yeah. be here for free? Oh yeah, Jamie will do it. But no, yeah, it was it was a great yeah vote of confidence from from him for sure. And then I moved to London and got a job with Alison James actually, <laughs> weirdly. And then and that and that and that was I kind of had this job for about a year and then everything kind of fell apart. That job got the show got got cancelled you're working for a company that was subcontracted to bebo is that right so we it was a production company called rdf who were making yeah a magazine show for bebo which was a social network back in the day i remember it do you you see yeah of course yeah yeah. um pre-facebook almost pre-everything pretty much yeah and they were so forward thinking they they had all these original shows so they had this 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 show called sam king which is about this guy who, like this young kid who started his own record label and Sophia's diary about this girl who, I guess, wrote a diary. I don't know. I didn't watch these shows. But they were, they were kind of like, yeah. they were dramas mm. on this social network. So it was kind of the first time that was really being done. And we, Alice, James and I, we made a show called B-Box for them. Alice and James hosted it. I filmed it and edited it. Uh, and yeah, we did that for like nine months. But then I think AOL bought Bebo and shut down their original content arm with such foresight. I mean, you know, who would have thought that had a future? (laughs) Um, And so then our show was going to come back for season two and we were on hiatus and I was actually directing a short film that I'd written thinking, oh great, I've got a job to go to after this and then I got a phone call to say, yeah, there's no budget, They've, they've, they've kind of slashed everything and then I just had a pretty, a pretty difficult like three years just kind of trying to Mm. So, my way. what was your living circumstances in London? Because um, if you're not from a wealthy background, and you're not from a family that are based in London, mm. it can be tough, can't it? Because yeah. you know you're maybe couch surfing, or you're or you're living in very crammed. For the first, housing. like, I moved to London, yeah, literally with a suitcase, and just I just stayed on floors of people that I met through LSTV, actually, right. Like my friends Lucy and Jen, they were amazing. They they were so sweet. They gave me one of their beds in the house and they shared their bed. I was like, God, you're so sweet. And then I moved into yeah, just a massive house share. There were like seven of us. James was one of them. <laughs> Where, whereabouts in London was that? I've lived all over. My first place was in Honor Oak Park. Then we moved to Tooting. Then the Isle of Dogs. Wow. Yeah, okay. cheaper. <laughs> Is it? Okay. Uh, well, it was then. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it was very residential. We were like, what are we doing here? <laughs> we were this rabble of like, yeah, seven of us in this little, tiny little house. Everyone around us must have hated us. And then, yeah, Stratford for a long time. Then I lived in Islington. Yes, yeah, so I've, I've, I've kind of lived all over the place. But but that was fun. You know, when you're in your 20s, it was... I had a great time. You know, I was... I really struggled with work, but... And I had a... I mean, I did have a bit of depression at that time as well. But generally speaking, it was fun. And I met my writing partner really early. A guy called Tom Wackett, who I'm still working with now. We're developing a new show at the minute, actually. So yeah, it was a really creative time, but it was not the best work. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. earning money was 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 kind of tough. But yeah, so like the difference from university, where I'm not saying it's an idealistic world at uni, because you, you know, it 100% you, you, is. You, you yeah. have digs, and you have this kind of picture of the industry, if I can call mm. it that, and you have pictures of like my lifestyle. You know, I'm going to yeah. live live in a leafy suburb and kind of create <laughs> projects that I'm uh, uh, you know going to be global hits, and and then when you start couch surfing and you start kind of at the bottom rung of of, of, i don't know the tv industry or wherever you work you kind of realize that you then have to earn the the right 
to move up a level and Hmm. Uh, it can be quite we say you had a bit of depression was that the reality of of what the real world was like or was yeah, that, I mean, I that, that, was, that there was a combination of things as you know obviously it wasn't just one thing but like yeah I, I think because I moved to London and, and I got this job that I really enjoyed and I made loads of friends I, I kind of had this false start mm-hmm. and then it all got kind of pulled away and then because I and because I was I, I, I'd been working in digital content which was so new and innovative at that time we're talking like 2008 you say digital content in 2008 to somebody and people kind of go advertising or you know honestly they just didn't understand and then and because i hadn't worked in proper telly quote unquote no one would hire me for those jobs so i had to kind of find work in digital content that just wasn't being created yeah and so actually it was our generation that kind of started all of that stuff and i uh, you know, I worked on the first ever magazine show for Facebook called Unlimited back in the day. And what was that about? That show? It, it was just it was it was kind of like this morning, but Amazing. for like young people, okay. like young people stories. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I worked on just so many. And was weird that just re- reaching out to people, make you know, asking the question, "Do you need somebody to do this?" Yeah, completely. Kind of and, and I and I would just you know, it would I would just do odd days shooting like jobs. I remember being asked to go and film the signage at Camberley shopping centre for a brand and I was like sure and it like paid like a hundred quid and I had to hire a camera and get to Camberley and back it's like after you know I think I may have made 20 quid (laughs) on jobs like that I once had to go and film something like the one of the kids from Outnumbered had to maybe they like they were nominated for an award or something and they had to like deliver a acceptance speech that was going to be a remote thing so i had to go to their house in the middle of nowhere and film that and just like weird <laughs> odd jobs you know yeah. but a, a true freelance then so i've always been a freelancer i've never yeah. had a real job and so i i heard a story that you were with uh, your writer friend tom yeah and you got a call to do uh, a project that featured somebody that you really admired yeah you did the job got fired from it yes um obviously a traumatic experience (laughs) yes um but my point being is that as a freelancer do you feel that you became better at it because of going through those things 100 percent. and it's one of those things that i remember just thinking really and I, i i do a lot of talks at my old university leads about working in the industry and something that i say to the young uh students is that like when you're in the middle of your hardest the hardest period of your career and you feel like you're taking a massive step backwards and you're not achieving anything and you're kind of frustrated it's easy to think that you're not growing or that you're not learning anything but actually you need to go through all of that to then be ready to do the stuff that is going to make you successful later on like with 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 me specifically you know all of the skills that I was learning through those really hard years became the things that I needed to create my dad wrote a porno and to keep the control of that show between me James and Alice you know you have to kind of go through all of that stuff to be ready for the opportunities when they arrive later on in your career and I think I wish I'd have had a better perspective of that when I was young like it's so difficult to have that perspective when you're in it and you know because it's bleak and it's really it's really hard actually and it is weirdly not triggering thinking about it but I forget how how hard it was it really was difficult but ultimately as you say I learned so much in that time that I just wouldn't have learned otherwise you know (laughs) 
Welcome back. This is Something in Media. I'm Dave Maguire. And we're listening to the story of how Jamie Morton became one of the most recognised voices in the world. So we've heard Jamie's background, but I wanted to ask him which experience pre-porno resonated with him the most. Can I ask you a question? Before porno and the trajectory to where you are today, what was your your favourite thing you did? Job? Pre-porno, yeah. Oh my God, that's a good question. I mean... As as I got older, things I I began to have pretty good jobs. I, I directed um, directed and edited a lot of documentaries for Vice, which I loved doing. I used to write. Uh, I, I I created with James actually for The Apprentice this thing on iPlayer where we would basically take the piss out of the contestants each week <laughs> by kind of creating a little thing called Honest Subtitles where we'd basically write what that they was all great. thought they were really saying. Um, and I did that for years. I, I, I loved that job. That was my favourite bit of The Whole Apprentice. So, oh, thanks. Uh, kudos to you for that. That's, that was yeah, brilliant. it was fun. Very funny. Thanks. It was, I mean, yeah, compliance was a nightmare. We'd be like, can we say this in the BBC? We're like, no, can't say that. And it just became quite, it was, it was, it was an oddly hard thing to do because obviously you wanted to keep pushing the boundaries and they were like, well, we can't you know, take the piss out of them too much. I'm like, no, I know, sorry. Uh, but that was, that was a fun job. I had, I, had, I had loads of fun jobs, to be honest with you. I, and I and I have been very lucky, you know, as much as I haven't worked consistently or didn't for a long time. You know, three or four years into my career, I started to kind of work more consistently. And I think that just happens, you know, you just get better and you get more contacts. And like you say, you know, having tough experiences like being let go from a job, actually, it was great for me because it made me really analyse what I was doing wrong and why that happened. And And actually, there was a load of stuff as to why that happened that wasn't really to do with me anyway. But it is important to kind of go through that self-reflection, especially when you're a freelancer, because you, you know, every day is your first day at work. You know, you don't really have the luxury of having an off day or, you know, being a bit hungover today. I'm not going to really bother. You know, you have to kind of bring it every day because someone's paying for you by, you know, sometimes by the hour or certainly by the day. So you you really owe it to whoever's employing you to be your best self. So that's good training, I think. And then when it came to working for myself, with my dad wrote a porno, I was used to kind of that way of working. So it wasn't a hardship for me, really. When you were in that period, um, we'll get to kind of launching my dad wrote a porno after this. But did you were you looking at other people that maybe at university with or people that you same age as you with with envy? Are you kind of looking at someone. Like, I wish I was if only I had the opportunity or were you kind of focused on what you were doing and carving your own path? I wasn't not envious because... I think what's great about our industry is that you can't do what anybody else does. So there's no point in being envious. I mean, I was really proud of all of my friends. And also, you know, they're your friends. Like, why wouldn't you be super proud of them? I remember when James was nominated for his BAFTA, I was like, my God, like we were kids together and you've been nominated for a BAFTA for a show that you've created. It's so cool. I, th- I think that's a really nice point that there, there might be a certain element of whisperers that um, once you get into a certain position... The, not backstabbing that's too too strong a word but this kind of that competitive element um, mm. I've certainly found it in podcasting where it's kind of you know a rising tide lifts all boats and all that kind of malarkey but it, yeah. it's nice that it actually it's true you know people do support I think support it is true other. and I think you know especially it comes back to being a creative person you know all you can do is see the world through your lens you know and, and your perspective and that is your toolkit right so no one else can do that. So it, I feel being jealous of other people's success is so counterproductive to what we all do for a living. You should be doing something else, like being 
you know the city if you're going to be that sort of kind of competitive because you know that's the sort of industry that will yeah. that mentality will help you rise and it will make you better probably i mean you can probably tell I have never worked in the city <laughs> and probably I'm very wrong about them or I'm sure they're lovely people. But like pr- briefcase now. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just think, you know, your individuality is what is celebrated in this industry and in most industries that's what's kind of mm. not the most useful component of your I, I mention it, I suppose, just because of the social media element of, you know, people only post Stuff that I have fewer followers than James and Alex. Is that what that's you're my main point? Yes, uh, <laughs> and you should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, get out! No, yeah. um, th- this idea that you know people only post some their success, and you know LinkedIn yeah. is a, is a good example of that. Facebook, yeah, course, uh, yeah. not Bieber anymore. Does it exist? I don't know. I, don't um, know. I, I heard rumours that they're bringing it back. Yeah, if they need a, I, I mean, I may th- need the work, so <laughs> I'm all for it. But yeah, it's that kind of thing of like, don't take everything at face value. And I think that yeah. what you said is good. Is, is, I mean, everything's like that, isn't it? Mm. You know, I think mm. we're getting way more wise to that yeah. as a culture, which is good. Yeah. So my dad wrote a porno. You were 27 when it started. Yeah, I was. Which kind of makes <laughs> me think, Jamie, get over yourself. I was like, I found it so hard. You were 27. You were pretty young when this all but kind of happened for you. Y- you you've got, you'd already gone through a lot at that point anyway. You know, you've mm-hmm. t- taken a big leap. You've had some experience under your belt. And you had the confidence to launch something like this and to see the potential. Yeah. Uh, and at tw- I think at 27, I know I thought I was older than I was. I remember people mm. saying, you're only 27. Me thinking I'm 27. But still, that's an incredible achievement. For, for some for someone that young I think 27 was a really weird age for me my life cha- I don't know if this is true for everyone but my life kind of shifted shifted at 27 I don't know why I just suddenly felt a lot older I, I, I don't, it wasn't even conscious it just something clicked I've been writing a project with my, my writing partner for a long time and we suddenly stopped that because we were like how much longer can we flog a, a dead horse no one wants it and we started writing something else that you know became really successful as well and then my dad wrote a porno happened and then it just it, everything kind of slotted into place in a weird way yeah just kind of odd I just felt ready for it in a way that I don't think if my dad had written a book had written the Blind Blink books you know two years earlier I don't think I would have been ready to make my dad write a porno I don't think Alice and James would have when been when you say you won't be ready do you, do you think was that ready confidence wise or was it platform confidence wise, wise um, skill set wise being for me being able to take time off to physically make it you know to be financially fortunate enough to be able to do that to have got my skill set to a point where I felt I could do it on my own you know the editing of it the post-production all of that sort of stuff yeah, just multiple things. You know, Alice had been working in radio for a while by that point, so she kind of understood audio in a way that me and James hadn't. James was, you know, now producing TV shows, so he had a whole other skill set that he didn't have two years prior. Like We all kind of came to the party really equipped to do this thing and make it the best it could be, and I think that's what I mean. I was kind of, my whole life up to that point, I was so impatient to be to have success but I had failed to realise that you have to be ready for that success. It, you know, you actually have to put the work in, get your skill set to a point where it can deliver the success that you feel like you deserve and that you're capable of because it doesn't just happen like that. I mean, for some people it does, but... but and it clicked and you were around people who also... There's a serendipity there. They yeah. were obviously in a similar position where they had time yeah. to do it. Yeah, can yeah. I ask you a practical question? What was the setup? Where did you record it? 
how, you know how you know what software did you edit it was it something that oh, you God, just this, this is sacrilegious probably but we I'm recorded real, yeah, it, it all no, no, i don't care we, we recorded it all of it in each of our houses we took it in turns we tried to make it as social an occasion as possible so whoever was hosting would like cook dinner and we'd have some drinks and then we'd record and yeah we just had the we would like bought three mics really cheap ones they cost like 200 quid each and they were on cookbooks and we recorded it on garage band and then i would edit it on premiere pro which isn't even an audio editing software but it was the software that i used in my professional work so i was like well i know this software why would i use audition even though i'm sure auditions much better and easier so it was very lo-fi and kind of that's how we i mean we switched off the fridge like you know we're not we're not complete charlatans but um yeah it was very lo-fi but i think that also we talked about that you know because we had access to recording studios if we'd have wanted them but i think there was something about the show that felt genuine that we were kind of in a real place and that we were genuinely hanging out as friends it would have felt slightly sterile i think if it had been in a like a bbc sounding studio you know so that was a a creative choice believe it or not as well as a practical one yeah well i mean not only did it click for you personally and alice and james you also clicked in terms of the right timing for podcasting because that's what's so brilliant about it is the fact that it doesn't need to be a Radio 4 produced thing. Mm. It can be something that you feel like you're a fly on the wall to a conversation. Yeah. And the genuine chemistry between you guys hit podcasting at a point where it was, if I can call it a mainstream way of entertainment, mainstream medium. And it just everyone kind of bought into this idea that they were along for the ride so when you when you started that what was the feedback like i assume that you had an email address or was there some kind of way people get could get in touch were you reading messages yeah we we that was kind of part of the the development process you know getting all of our social handles and all of that and yeah it was kind of instantaneous really it was i think episode three was when elijah wood tweeted about it and we were like oh people (laughs) are listening to this elsewhere we just i don't know it just kind of it sounds so naive. But also podcasting, as you say, it just wasn't what it is now. There weren't any expectations of it. it, it I don't know. It, we, we wanted to make a show. We wanted to make people laugh. That was kind of our only ambition. There was nothing more... You weren't, you weren't sat there going, right, well, I'll, call, I'll contact Corporation A. Yeah, right. And there was no pounds. advertising on it. And there was no, you know... And and the idea of like a podcast being able to make you you know one day tour or have your own TV show I mean that just was not even in the ether. So you weren't thinking oh this this is a brand right we yeah we weren't we just were like well this is a funny thing that we all enjoy maybe other people will enjoy it you know I I had been reading this book for people for so long by that point and everyone just loved it it was like their favorite little thing and we're like it was my, my party piece and so we were like well people seem to enjoy this let's let's make this into a show that we can you know share with the world so it really was kind of that innocent in terms of its conception but we took it seriously and we made sure that we had our theme tune commissioned and we had proper artwork and a photo shoot and we gave it the best possible chance to be successful because we all had the experience to do that but there was no expectation outside of it being a great product you know all we really could control was is this a show that we're proud of and that we think is the best that we can make everything else just kind of happened around it which is why it's lovely when people talk about you know it as a huge success but you know i really feel like we had 
not a huge amount to do with that. And as I said earlier, you know, I have friends who've made incredible stuff that never reached the peaks of porno. And, and you know, so much of success in our industry is luck. It just is. And timing and the fact that, you know, we all came at, it at a point where we were able to make it the best we could that my dad had written this book that was as funny as it was at this time and that podcasting was suddenly having a moment and even things like technology was at a point where it could be sustained you know people had loads of people had had smartphones that they could physically listen to it on the tube whereas you know 10 years earlier no one had an iphone do you know what i mean it's everything was so it was just fortuitous and, and there, there was a, there was an alchemy to everything the fact that we as three people worked well on mic together that you know we're friends but that doesn't always translate and it just everything seemed to, and the fact that my dad was okay with it and my mum was okay with it and my sisters were okay with it I was I was kind of waiting for a point where I was like is no one gonna shut this down or is this just gonna <laughs> we're, okay we're doing this and and it did feel like we were kind of flying immediately because everything kind of just slotted into place and I can't explain that. I mean, I think there's so many lessons to be learned in what you just said that it, it it's it's hard work and it's luck. And I think that's mm. the luck element is often overlooked. And yeah, yeah. And, and don't if you've made something that you're really proud of and it hasn't been immediately successful has nothing to do with you. You made a great thing, and if you're proud of it, then that's all that really matters. You know, I I always say that to people. You know, what people think of my show is their business. It's nothing to do with me. I'm happy with it. If you don't find it funny, cool. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's yeah. to do with me, yeah. you know. But I also think that um, you found something that you enjoyed, and being niche isn't necessarily a bad thing because if it connects with you and your friends, it's going to then project up. And you know, you found your audience. If I can use a, a a kind of an Americanism, maybe. But it's that that thing of like you found a connection, and I think a yeah. lot of people love that show for that. Well, it's that thing of like yeah. someone once said, "The most personal is the most universal." Absolutely. Because people relate mm. to the intimacy of the truth of what you're telling a story about. And, you know, this couldn't have been more intimate. It's my father, it's my friends. It's, you know, you didn't have to know any of us to for it to speak to you, I guess. We've only got a couple of minutes. So many questions. Could it be a YouTube thing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, we did think about that, but the visual stuff. Plus, it's more expensive, you know. Podcasting is so cheap, you know, on a practical level. You've got so much going on now, post yeah. My Dad Wrote a Porno. You're back working in theatre Mm, yeah I know stage. it's interesting isn't it in terms of what drives you professionally mm-hmm. is it the same today as it was 15 years ago oh that's a good question um I hope so I think so I think I just want to like I said I just want to tell stories I've never been particularly yeah like I said before bothered about how I do that and I think it's finding the right medium for the right story and I think I did want to do something completely different post my dad wrote a porno and I think you know having the success that I had with it you know a lot of people saying oh what's your next podcast going to be and I was like I don't really want to do a podcast yet I'm you know maybe I will but I wanted to kind of exercise a a different creative muscle if that makes sense I felt like I'd kind of done this and I'd done it to the best of my ability and it was eight years of my life and it was incredible but just knackering and I wanted to kind of do something different but I think I think my my relationship with like success has changed because I've I kind of see it for what it is and actually success is is really personal it's not about how many people listen to your show or what awards you win and and I know there's a position of privilege to say that because I have been lucky enough to have all of that but I think having that gives you the perspective that it's actually 
the thing that you would think success is going to feed you is never the thing that actually fulfills you and it's actually for me it was making something that I felt really proud of and and staying true to the show the whole way through and 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 also you know with my dad wrote a porno building a show that is could so easily have been like a one-hit wonder kind of like oh that's a funny idea a <laughs> couple of episodes and then just disappears but to have kind of sustained it and built an audience and, and made the shows each year was a, was even bigger and you know I think that was the hard part and so for me now taking all the stuff that I've learned from my dad wrote a porno and kind of applying it to different mediums is so exciting but it's just really busy because suddenly there's a million things that people want you to do and and I and I want to do and it's about well where do you put your energy because I was once told by someone that I really respect that a career is a long time and that you should concentrate on doing something to the best of your ability and then she said and then just oh, oh, for a bit and then do something else and do that to the best of your ability and then do so so it's like you can be spread really thin in this industry especially when you have success and people want you to do stuff so it's been more about how do I manage my time my energy and what I want to put out into the world and what are the stories that I want to tell at this point in my life really Jamie Morton and how he became something in media you can find him on Instagram at Uncle Igor, that's Uncle E-G-O-R, and keep an eye out for Jamie's latest work coming to a streaming platform and theatre near you. How has Jamie carved out such an amazing career? Well, get further insight from our in-house careers advisor via our website at somethingin.media, where you can glean a deeper understanding of what it takes to make it in the world of media and even the opportunity to book a one-on-one session. You can also find our newsletter sign-up via our website too. Something in Media is a stable production. And if you enjoyed listening, please follow us by pressing the subscribe button or follow button wherever you get your podcasts. And if you think someone may benefit by listening to these types of stories, please pass on the message. I'm Dave Maguire, and thanks again for listening.